Good evening and welcome to this live broadcast of Black Talk Radio News. My name is Scotty Reed, of course, and it is Labor Day, September the 4th, 2023, as uh, we broadcast from what I often call uh, behind the enemy lines of USA Inc. So uh, welcome to this broadcast. I'm sorry. Uh, Yeah, give me just a moment. Uh, We're actually live right now. And uh, this is Labor Day. And let me share something with y'all, fam. The topic of tonight's show was going to be Labor Day. It makes sense, right, to talk about labor fits in with politics and whatnot. So y'all know I have to subscribe to a lot of different politicians and stuff online. And y'all know Tim Scott, who's just actually below, not that far, maybe 100 miles, 200 miles in South Carolina, Fam, y'all know we broadcast uh, from North Carolina. That's our home base. But I was on Twitter today, and I'm like, his campaign is so tone deaf. And it was talking about how he will destroy unions. So the majority, of we have unions here where we live. And um, there's a Freightliner. It's called Freightliner, but it's really Daimler. And a lot of people I went to school with work there. Uh, some of the people I know are actually union organizers and officers in, in the union. Um, and so um, my daughter worked there. Again, a lot of people. This is my hometown. So I know that the union jobs pay more, have better benefits, and just a whole lot more than workers who are under the North Carolina law of what's called at will, you know, work at will state and what have you. So anyway, I just thought it was real tone deaf for a presidential candidate like Tim Scott to just on on this day, you know what I'm saying, Labor Day and the history and the violence that, um, you know, workers have faced in trying to organize for better wages, for better working conditions, for just for, you know, uh, uh, just so many what I would call human rights. And, and so for his campaign to put out that message. That's not a message to to the regular working man and woman. That was a message to the billionaires because let's make no mistake, in my opinion, that's where the problem starts. It's the ones who profit the most um, and and don't pass on some of their uh, wealth to the workers. And productivity has gone up over the years, worker productivity, but I tell you, so, um, yeah, Tim Scott, you know, if I had a war for dumb comment of the, of the week, you would get it. So, listen, fam, we're going to talk to um, um, attorney Shakita Hall Jackson, just a little bit about her. Uh, just met her virtually, uh, but been reading up on her. Um, but she is the founding attorney of Hall and Jackson and Associates uh, PC, a creator of Blow the Whistle Law, a social justice advocacy brand with the tagline, see something, say something, blow the whistle on workplace discrimination and harassment. And she is known as the discrimination disruptor. Now, she's a graduate of Southern University Law Center, got a JD in um, North what's that Northern Illinois University Certificate in Diversity and Inclusion from Cornell University. Um, 
shout out to Cornell West, uh, who I think used to be a professor there, but he's running for president as well as an independent. Um, she has studied abroad in international criminal law and constitutional law. And my new abolitionist family, y'all know that I got to ask her a question related to constitutional law. Uh, she's a multi-award winner, top 40 under 40 for seven years in a row. Um, the first Black president of the National Employment Lawyers Association, the Illinois affiliate. She's a past mediator at the Louisiana Attorney General's Office and a past law clerk, uh, Cook County State's Attorney Office, and a speaker on DEI trainings and speaking engagements. And in her spare time, I mean, with that, with that kind of resume, y'all, I was very impressed. But in her spare time, you would think, Dang, where did she find the time? Because she's doing a lot. All of that that I just talked about, it's a lot of work that go into it. So, but she still takes the time to educate the youth in her spare time on their legal rights through her nonprofit, whatever it takes, Scholars LLC. And her place of origin in Chicago, Illinois, which is the setting of that movie I keep telling y'all to make sure that y'all watching, that's Judas and the Black Messiah, which is a film that's focused on Fred, Chairman Fred Hampton, who was assassinated by Chicago police. So anytime I get to plug uh, Chairman Fred in the history of the Black Panther Party, y'all know I'm going to do it. So um, yeah, so let's go ahead before we get into some questions and what have you um, and um, welcome her to the broadcast. This is her first time on Black Talk Radio News and Miss Hall Jackson, welcome to Black Talk Radio News. Thank you for joining us. Good evening and thanks for having me. I appreciate you guys. Wonderful, wonderful. Let me just adjust my audio a little bit because you're coming in a little loud. So my first question uh, to you is just congratulations on the success that you've had for a relatively young person and, you know, and how you're giving back to the community. So uh, thank you so much, you know, for what you do and how you try to impact the world in, with the gifts that have been given you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. I can't hear you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you now. Thank okay. you. So much. Uh, you're welcome. So um, the first thing that I want to uh, ask you is what does what does Labor Day mean to you? And I'm going to be honest with the listeners always and honest with, with you. My family never really celebrated Labor Day. I think everybody's aware of Labor Day because there's always a Labor, Labor Day sale, you know, it'd be all over the television and commercials and what have you. So never really celebrated it, celebrated it. But as I begin to educate myself after my so-called schooling, I do understand the history, you know, the importance of a Labor Day and what that all signifies. But in your words, you know, what does it mean to you? This 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 important holiday that many people observe. I appreciate your honesty because I'm gonna be honest. My family might have a barbecue. My I even traveled on Labor Day as a, just another day off of work, but never with the meaning of what Labor Day stood for. So I think it's just in the Black community overall, we just didn't really give it uh, a true focus on what the meaning was, um, but just saw it as another day off. But by me being in this arena of employment law. 
By me being this arena of employment law, I finally got an opportunity to determine um, and actually take the time to look into it. And simply it's just um, a day to thank workers for their hard work throughout the year that they do, and especially those who are part of unions and union, um, unionizing and becoming one and asking for protection in their uh, place of employment. Yes. So, you know, shout out to the local listeners in Gaston County, because I know it's a number of you because you tell me you listen. But a friend of mine, Pam, shout out to Pam Morgan Stern. Um, she shared on her Facebook uh, profile some history about I think she shared it in the NAACP group, but um, shared a picture of Loray Mills that strike and I mean, it was, I guess, historic enough for it to have a Wikipedia page. So, yeah. And but that was mostly white workers. And I just want to take a step back and and mention something about the African-American community. So when these things like LeRae Mill strikes where the majority of the workers were white and what have you, I think. Black people, and from my studies, have not always been welcomed into these labor units that that unions in the early days, especially the 1900s and what have you, because this is still the Jim Crow period after Reconstruction uh, was destroyed. So I'm a, I'm gonna throw it, throw it to you, Attorney. Um, do you think that might play into why the African American community don't really celebrate or get down with Labor Day like that? I agree 100%. Exactly. Um, And it's not just from 1900s to this present day. You try to run for a union position, nine times out of 10, it's very rare. And depends on um, the government entity, now you might have more um, Blacks and serving as union stewards and just being involved in unions. But when it comes to the construction, pipe fitters and different things like that, is we definitely excluded. And yes, I think that's exactly why we do not mess around with Labor Day and celebrate it the way it should be. Okay. All right. So let's, let's get to some of the questions that I, I prepared. Um, could you share with us the inspiration behind fi- founding uh, your law firm, being one of the founding attorneys of Hall Jackson and Associates PC, and your mission and how that fits in as a discrimination disruptor? Um, originally, I started off as a general practice. I just knew after being rejected in law school for 41 rejection letters, I applied for two jobs, um, both in the city of Chicago. I did not get those. And with the idea of someone telling me they're going to walk me through the door, they was in the human resources department. I still didn't get those jobs. I didn't even get an interview. And so with that, um, I, I stumbled upon just... <laughs> hanging my own shingle and starting my own law firm. And I started off with a general practice doing some family law, criminal law. And every now and then I get some employment law cases. But um, as the years progressed, that was the cases that I woke up for and I was excited about. Um, I actually did a lot of heavy research and just felt good about fighting on behalf of workers. And though, especially that was 40 plus, in most situations, they was 50 plus, not too far from retirement but they was pushed out the door for some particular reason. So those um, pulled on my heartstrings. And as a result of that, in 2017, I announced that we're going strictly employment law with the idea I thought that we'll do a little uncontested divorces, but that doesn't exist. Uh, Everybody fights over, you know, property, whatever. So with that, um, as I continue to matriculate in the employment law field, I noticed that I was one of the few Black attorneys that actually was fighting on behalf of workers. Most Black attorneys uh, represent management. So they serve as in-house counsel and they actually represent the corporation that most employees allege are doing wrongdoing to them, whether that's discrimination, whistleblowing, harassment, 
um, OSHA complaints by not having safe work conditions and things like that. And so I felt the need to stay over here and continue to work for our people and just make be their voice. Um, and so with that, as a lot of my colleagues got to go to different conferences, they'll tell me, you need to find something else in addition to discrimination because they don't pay well, they're hard to prove. Um, but I felt like I needed to be their voice. And so with that, um, one of my coaches named me the discrimination disruptor. Um, and I just ran with it and been on the mission ever since. Yeah, you know, as I was preparing for the show and reading a little bit about, you know, your mission and and more about the work you've been involved in, I mean, this is more common than a lot of us know. And I can tell you personally, you know, I know people in my family, you mentioned uh, what someone reach a certain age, they pushed them out the door into early retirement. That happened to, happened to my mother. Uh, we were both working at the same dye lab or, or uh, working for the same, it, it, this was an international corporation. It was actually, the headquarters was in Europe, but they got big operations here in the United States. And she worked there for like 25, 30 years maybe, and was pushed out the door and she wasn't ready to retire. And it's not like it was a physically demanding job, but then me on the same job, cause she got me the job. Um, this black woman filed a sexual harassment lawsuit alleging that the vice president, you know, had did some inappropriate things like giving her a sex tape and things of that, that nature. And I was called on the telephone. She gave my name as a dep for uh, the deposition. They called me and I told the truth. And I added some stuff like, you know, I didn't have to, but I felt like I needed to cause cause these were non-white women he was preying upon. And I noticed the pattern of like the workers who would be like temp workers, you know, temp workers, and they'd be wanting to get permanent. So again, not to get into my personal life, but I bet you a lot of my listening audience out there can tell you stories like that. Is, are those uncommon for you to hear those examples I gave you? No, and thanks for sharing that. Um, it's not uncommon. And the uncommon part is that people speak up for themselves and actually understand that that's not the norm and that you do and, not and I'm have sorry. To. I'm sorry. I forgot to add one key point. And I got fired uh, several months later after giving that deposition. I know that was the reason why. No, I was curious. I was going to ask you what happened as a result of you participating. Yeah. But yeah, that's retaliation. Um, and just like you probably felt that in your spirit and knew um, that that was the reason, a lot of people experience that and they just don't, they go about their life. They suck in it, they cry, they drink, whatever, and they move on, but no one actually goes after the corporations and hold them accountable. And so that's what I'm on a mission to get more people to know when to speak up and speak out and challenge their employer and actually do it. Yeah, but I never did any follow-up or anything um, I may have called a couple of law firms, didn't hear anything, but life happens. I was a young single dad at the time with two small children and then a third, you know, that was with her mom. And so I had to find another job and move on from that. And thank, thankfully, I didn't fall into what you just talked about, depression or, or taking out my frustration in negative ways that would impact me adversely. So next question, Labor Day, as we talked about some of the history, commemorates workers' contributions, but today we see a surge in strikes. What do you think are the key factors contributing to this increase in worker activism? Again, I was just talking about at the opening, Tim Scott sending out a message on, on Twitter um, that he's basically a union buster. 
and and so we have been seeing a lot more activity over the past couple of years with make workers of major corporations you know going on strike so let's hear let's hear what what do you think is the increase i think the increase is just workers are being fed up um I was just talking about the Hollywood strike, and it's also in Atlanta and anywhere where writers and recording studios are. The idea that they have to make 20, would have to gross $26,000 a year in order to get benefits. That includes medical health, vision, dental. And so as a result of that, uh, we celebrate them. We watch them on TV. We run to our TVs weekly to watch them and come to find out they're not even grossing $26,000. Um, and that's kind of sad, you know, that's below poverty line. And they're just simply asking, can we make enough money so that we can qualify for the union or reduce the amount that is the minimum that we have to make each year in order to get benefits? Um, and you have these multi-billion, if not trillion dollar companies, Sony and Paramount and all that, living off these people's hard work. Um, and they have CEOs up in the mountains and somewhere living luxury having three or four yachts but yet the people that's out there making them um doing all the hard work for them to make money can't even afford to pay the rent they're living four to five people in hollywood and apartment it's just ridiculous so i i applaud each one of them and i i ask that they continue to strike until they see a change now your movement blow the whistle law encourages workers to report wrongdoing can you elaborate on how this movement empowers employees to stand up against workplace injustices as you just talked about, because, you know, the fear of retaliation often does prevent employees. And and let me tell you, before I gave, I had some trepidation about giving that deposition because I got two small children. I'm the sole provider for my family, you know, and, and, but I'm also looking at my two small children are women. Black men and how, you know, if someone with had knowledge of something like this happening to them, then, you know, I, I would hope somebody would say something. So can you elaborate um, on on the blow the whistle law? Yeah, so ultimately it's an accountability, um, accountability movement. I'm just asking people as you see it in the moment. Like I understand I'm an employment law attorney. I know it's hard to conjure up inside of you the idea of I'm going to go after my employer and actually sue your employer. So I'm trying to actually deter more people from running to the EEOC and running into courthouses and trying to file suits because a lot of times we don't have everything we need in order to be have a successful lawsuit. So it's more so asking people, as you witness the wrongdoing in the moment, speak up and address the wrongdoing in that time and don't wait to this year-long pile of emails and text message and voice memos in your phone and now try to take it to HR, take it as you see it. Or at least if you don't feel comfortable going to HR, you don't feel like this particular situation is worthwhile, then it simply is going into that supervisor's office or the wrongdoer's office and say, I just witnessed what I, you know, I just saw what you did. And I don't think that's proper. I wouldn't want, I wouldn't feel comfortable. You talking like that. So I don't think you should talk to people like that. Because in most situations it's more so a lot of people, they claim, when they when I'm doing the deposition, supervisors, oh, I didn't know that was offensive. I didn't know I was offending them. If they would have just spoke up and told me, I would have, you know, I would have changed my behavior. You know, I don't have much history with black people. I don't have much history with the LGBT community, whatever the situation may be. But a lot of times if we just open our mouths and speak up in that moment, I think we can change a lot without having to go through litigation. 
And I agree with that so much, but for different reasons, for setting the tone. Because mm-hmm. um, I was working at a car detail shop for another black man, but it was housed at a white dealership, white-owned dealership. And then I observed, you know, his behavior with that person who we know is, uh, um, is right-leaning. I'm not going to say the man is racist. He treated me well, um, even gave me a gift for, for Christmas. But other people who would come, you know, um, I just noticed he would, I hate to put it like this, sis, but stepping and fetching. And I was like, I'm not stepping and fetching. I'm not hee-hawing. And if they say something to me that's out of the way, I'm going to say something to them right then in the moment. And he was like, no, man, you can't be doing stuff like that. You know, you have to be calm and and you got to be about making that paper. No, I'm about maintaining my dignity and setting, setting the bar. For those people who don't yet know me, you know, let them know up front. Would you agree with that approach? Yeah, and I just think it's a matter. Um, I always tell people, me as a CEO, me owning my own law firm, I have employees under me. There's plenty of times they do something I'm just not happy with. I have to collect myself if I need to take 24 hours, but I make sure I address it by the end of the week. And right. if I can, within 24 hours. So it is a way to do it. If you know that you're a hothead and you, the way things may come out of your mouth may be um, misinterpreted or took taken as aggressive or whatever, then just take a minute to walk to the to the garage, walk outside, walk to the restaurant, take your break, and then come back and make sure you address it by the end of the day. Doesn't necessarily mean address it right then and there if you know that your reaction might not be the best, but definitely yeah, address I, it I, I hear what you're saying, and I didn't mean it like that, but I was just, this was a conversation. I don't think, I, I don't think and, you mean you know. it that I'm just telling people, because that's, you know, I'm actually, yeah, like right. I said, as I educate people, because th- that's not just your concern, that's a lot of people's concern. If I do address it, I might not say it the right way, and that might risk my job, so that's why I don't say anything, but it is a way to cool off, and then come back once you kind of calm and kind of address Hey, I want to give a shout out to Casey. Uh, Casey, you know me, Gaston County, you live in Gaston County, you work at the garage, and I want to give a um, shout out to him for saying something, because they had hired uh, a racist mechanic. It's no doubt that this dude was racist and was saying some stuff. He never said no stuff around me, but he said something around some of the other guys and I just heard about it. So I never had no interactions, but Casey um, uh, confronted this guy when he was, Casey's a white guy, confronted this guy when the guy tried to tell him a racist joke right there in the garage. Cause all the black folks, we work detailing the cars, them the two mechanics, in that enclosure in that garage and, and Casey came and told us too so I let him know and the guy was soon gone after that so Good. shout out to him because we need that it's not just about black people standing up for themselves but it's about people standing up for what's right and calling out what's wrong would you agree I agree 100 percent I agree 100 percent now, you've highlighted the five signs of workplace retaliation. Could you provide examples of how these signs might manifest in different work environments? As far as retaliation or? Retaliation, yes. Like yeah, so. You speak up, you know, yeah. I'm sorry to cut you off. So, yeah, if you, in most situations, as you spoke about, you did this deposition and prior to going to it, you had some fears and concerns. And what usually happens is you have the idea of this demotion. Uh, sometimes the lateral removal, they simply change your title. 
you have um, failure to promote, you know you're up for that promotion and they put someone else in that position for you, termination, and then ultimately, uh, termination is usually the, the most <laughs> worst thing that can happen to you. Um, so those usually are the signs, just the idea of um, just not getting the opportunity to advance and even opportunity not to get hired. If you complain at the application process, you might not even get hired. All right. All right. So recent events like the U.S. Supreme Court's ruling on affirmative action have raised concerns about workers' rights. How do you view the current landscape of labor rights in the United States and what challenges do you foresee in the new future, especially if somebody with the attitude of a Tim Scott becomes president? Exactly. Uh, I think it's sad what's going on the the Supreme Court, and I think it's very clear. I don't think no one is blind as to what's going on. It started off with Roe v. Wade. Now they're doing affirmative action, and I can guarantee workers' rights will not be far um, behind. And I believe that that's going to be next on the agenda. It might not be as within the next two years, but I want to say it's definitely on the agenda to start scaling back. You already see in Florida where it's no longer required that diversity, equity, and inclusion be at the mission um, at most employers and definitely in the education setting. And so I just think it's going to kind of spill over into the workplace and how people are treated and what's required. And they're going to change the, the statutes, that's, um, the constitutional statutes, the federal statutes that protect workers that's been around since 1964. Okay. Now, the see, see something, say something approach is crucial. And that just reminds me of what they said about terrorism when, you know, they were really hyping the terrorism so that we could, you know, create these, pass these bills, create homeland security. So that's one of the things I remember from all of that, mm -hmm. you know, promotion of that. See, see something, say something. Now, how can, how can, let's say, business owners or corporations, how can they set the bar high for their own organizations and do you think they should be educating their workforce about, you know, whistleblower protections and their rights? Of course. And um, making it clear, don't just throw it inside of a handbook because nine times out of 10, people are not reading a handbook and they're definitely not reading it from page one all the way to the end. So I think it's definitely the responsibility of the corporation to have more trainings um, and also um, workshops and just different programs to kind of focus on that and make workers feel safe, even if they um, don't have a structure where you can report to human resources, at least an 800 number with a third party where people can go to and they can possibly feel better than telling their supervisor or someone in HR that they feel like just going to go back and spread their business throughout the company. So third party HR 1-800 um, hotlines are just as good. Okay. And, and workplace bullying, because I've seen that as well, and harassment re remain pervasive issues. How can companies create a safe environment for employees to report such, such uh, incidents without that fear of backlash? Again, that 800 number is so many third party companies that you can just um, partner with. It's probably a nominal fee compared to staffing and human resources. I also play workshops on it. And then just the employers actually educating themselves because a lot of times they put so much on the worker, um, but human resources departments and those directors of um, human resources and other um, people in those positions just do not 
know what to look out for themselves and how to address it in the moment. Uh, and when they are, they fail to investigate it. And so when people that I represent, we ask for the investigation notice, notes and things like that. They never even investigated the people claims. So they actually have to not only encourage their workers to speak up, but actually investigate it once um, they made the complaint, talk to the witnesses that they list, go through the documents that they actually gave you, the emails, the text messages to kind of help prove and not automatically say this is unsubstantiated without yeah. actually investigating it. Right. I know some if you're going to make allegations and that's even outside the workplace, but even in activism and, and, and organize, you know, these um, non-governmental organizations and, and that type of work, you know, that that's very important is documenting. If you're going to make allegations about somebody, you better have some proof, especially if they're serious allegations. You better, better, better be, you should not, uh, let me change my language, you should be able to point to bylaws or the employee handbook or the corporation's handbook and to back up these allegations if you're going to make such allegations which you know in that same job i was a third shift supervisor and my workers came to me and was like we supposed to be getting an extra dollar an hour to be working third shift and i, I was like okay where'd you get that information and um it's in the handbook or the sop and i went and read it and then i had to meet with that same vice president i was speaking of earlier but at the end of the day when i could point to that they had no choice but to give us that extra dollar an hour they wasn't just cheating the workers because i was hourly paid and here we are working third shift so um i appreciate you sharing that story because some people fail to realize if you equipped yourself with the knowledge of what's in the handbook it's so powerful and what you can change and do for yourself. Yes, yes, I, I think that is very important. Um, last few questions I have for you. And again, I want to thank you for coming on today. And I do want to let the listeners know on the uh, episode entry for tonight's program, I have linked to all of her contact information, the Twitter, the social media, the LinkedIn. So y'all can go right there. You know, if you listening somewhere else, you can go right there and have access to those links. But I want to give you the opportunity to tell people how to contact you before, you know, we close it out with a couple more questions. I appreciate that. Um, you can find me at www.shakitahall-jackson, Shakita Hall-Jackson, and my first name spelled just like the banana. Uh, other than that, you can follow us on all social media platforms at Blow the Whistle Law, Blow the Whistle Law. All right. So as the dis discrimination disruptor, what advice would you give to individuals who are currently facing workplace injustice? But again, it's, I sound repetitive, but I think these are important questions, you know, when they're hesitant to step forward and take action. Uh, I just want people to understand that there's a difference between workplace bullying and discrimination. Do understand that workplace bullying, just like your, if a child was being bullied at school, there's no laws out there currently to protect bullying. And I always compare that to The Devil Wears Prada. It was a movie that Tyler Perry had with Janet Jackson, and she was this boss. She ended up catching AIDS. I cannot think of her name or the actual movie. Uh, but she was just real nasty to her employee throughout that movie. And that's just bullying. Some people don't know how to embrace their power. They abuse their power and they talk down to you. Mm -hmm. uh, unfortunately, if they do that to everybody and it has nothing to do with your race or your protected class, gender, sexual orientation, 
then unfortunately that is bullying and it's not protected at any level, state, federal, county, anything like that, city. Uh, but then discrimination, if you believe you are being discriminated against, you have to compare yourself to somebody. And so many people go to the EEOC and they're having frivolous claims and they're getting these um, non-substantiated findings because of the fact that you're not comparing yourself to anybody. You have to compare your profile. So if I'm saying I'm an African-American female and I felt like my supervisor are treating all Black females or all Black people this way, then I have to show a list of white people or white males that they are being treated at a better level, whether that's attendance policy, they don't have to follow the same attendance policy, break policies, they don't have, they're not, they're getting paid at a higher rate. You have to have some kind of comparison in order to have a discrimination claim. Okay. Um, now, success stories. You've been doing this work a long time. And we've just basically been talking about problems, but important problems and, and some solutions and how to prepare for these problems because, you know, they are kind of prevalent. So it's best to be prepared. You, we hear to see these news stories all the time, hear these stories from our people in our community. So it's very important. But You've been doing it a long time. What's some of the success stories that you, you, you've you uh, been a part of? Any success stories? Yes. Yes, success stories. Um, I like to, um, one of my first few cases I like to credit is a client that she worked at a factory assembly line and of course, in those particular settings, the respect for workers are a little bit less than someone who's in a corporation and sitting at a desk. And as a result, um, she had one guy who was just following her around. Um, he made a, a, a I'm not going to say a minor touch because I don't want to minimize her harm, but he only had one touching and it was more so on her shoulder. And as a result, she found it. She rushed and filed an EEOC charge because her employee, when she told them about it, they kind of brushed it off. The employer took advantage of the EEOC mediation process right away, and they actually went to mediation twice. And the first one, they in that same mediation just took a regular sheet of paper and came to an agreement that they will start them at two different times. He will have to take this extra path. Eventually, they start mocking her and isolated her and allowed this behavior to get worse because he was never punished for his part in it. He was never addressed. It was more so let's coddle her to get her to be quiet and go sit down somewhere. And as a result, uh, it started allowing other supervisors and other colleagues to now smack her on her butt, uh, rub past her on this thin bench and rub their private parts across her butt on a daily basis as they're trying to squeeze through small spaces. Um, the comments, the un, unwelcome conduct of soliciting dates and holiday parties corner her. It just got so bad when she got to the point where she tried to cut her face um, and she actually cut all her hair off and her child just happened to found her and checked her into a 21-day facility, a mental health facility. And as a result, she, by the time we got to the deposition, my opposing counsel pulled me outside and was like, Shakita, I really think we should resolve this. I don't see your client winning this whatsoever, but I do feel so sorry for her that I want to offer her something. Uh, and what they offered, my client was not willing to take, and we decided to fight it. And the judge found in our favor, 
and we ended up getting a six-figure uh, six settlement at the eve of trial. We was getting ready to set up for trial, and the judge wanted to fight this. But it was just, you know, her willpower after being stuck in a mental health facility. She couldn't go home mm -hmm. uh, for 14 days. It was 14 to 21 days. And without her kids, she couldn't have phone contact with the world. Wow. Um, ultimately considered crazy because the result of what someone in the workplace done to her. So that really put me on a mission. Like this is where I need to be and continue to fight for more people like her. I, I could see why you would highlight her case. <laughs> Last last question. Now, in your bio, I mentioned that you were a constitutional lawyer as well. So 2013, this is uh, five years after the founding of Black Talk Radio Network, which was founded in 2008. I happened to read the 13th Amendment, you know, shake the dates now. It's 2013. And I happened to read the 13th Amendment, looked it up just out of the blue. Well, not out of the blue, but, you know. Some said, check out the 13th Amendment. So I read the 13th Amendment. I've always had a high reading comprehension. And I was like, they did not abolish slavery. It's a except as. So as a constitutional scholar, are you in agreement that technically the 13th Amendment did not abolish slavery in the United States? Yes. Uh, if you read it the way you read it, it's... Um... You are free unless you are in prison. And when it hit me, I, like you said, I, I studied abroad and I studied constitutional law and even undergrad. That was majority of my political science. We read the um, the justice opinions inside out. I can tell you about Terrence, uh, Clarence Thomas, Scalia, all of them. I, I read all their opinions back and forth. Um, and nonetheless, if you pay attention to the 13th Amendment, um, you will see that it is allowing for slavery to happen in the prison systems. And I remember taking a tour in law school of, um, it's in Louisiana. I can't think of the name right now. Um, Angola. See, Angola. Thank you. See murder is currently there. At the time we went, Boosie was there. They both was locked up. But once you enter those grounds, it was like watching the movie life. They had these people in black and white jumpsuits, um, they was looking like sharecroppers had the tools to go digging and plant. And once we got in there, we learned their history. They actually have them plant food um, and they resell it out to the communities, to the market. They also um, have a rodeo each year where they're training the inmates to actually ride horses and they uh, compete and raise money for the state of Louisiana. It's a, it is the new modern day slavery. And to hear the stories, this young man, he, you have to have 25 years or more to be sentenced in, to Angola. So you had people as young as 16 knowing that they would never have freedom again. And one of the guys was, he was a DJ for Angola. They, they, they set it up for you, you gonna live like you at home. They had a whole DJ in there. He was our tour guide for the trip, and he was saying how he, he told us his story. He um, rode from Texas with a friend, and he just thought, he, he claims he thought he was just going to hang with a friend for the weekend. They was going to New Orleans, go down to, you know, um, Bourbon Street, mm -hmm. and the guy was going there um, to rob somebody, essentially. But he had no clue, and he took no part, and he sat in the car the whole time. But because he was an accessory after the fact, meaning that once the guy got back in the car with the goods, he didn't run and pick up a payphone or jump out the car and call the cops. 
-hmm. he too got sentenced to 50 years wow. just for being an accessory. But it showed that they was purposely putting these black guys in there with the intentions that you're going to farm for us, you're going to entertain us, and so profit much more. From it. Yeah, and they profit from it. And then you find hey. out how much they paid them. It's a penny on the dollar. They get paid no more than 10 cents. And at the time we went, I believe it was six cents per hour. And they have to get up at 6 a.m. and be out in the yard working at 8 a.m. It's funny that you mentioned Angola and the state of Louisiana. Um, this past election cycle, um, you know, the two year, every two years and um, several states, because since 2013, several states have changed their state constitutions, which basically mirrored the um, the uh, 13th Amendment, and they got rid of those exception clauses for slavery and involuntary servitude. Um, right now, there's a bill just got introduced in North Carolina um, here because it says slavery shall be abolished, but involuntary servitude as punishment for crime. And I'm like, come on now, y'all don't treat me like I, I, I don't know that those words mean the same thing. You know what I'm saying? So on successes, we've seen several states since 2013, we get legally, constitutionally abolished slavery after we've been lied to and miseducated for over 150 years. But funny you mentioned Louisiana, and we'll get ready to close it out. But I want to say it was Alabama, um, Mississippi. I'm not sure right now. Their names escape me of the five states they had on their ballot to do what I'm talking about, change the Constitution so abolish slavery. And only Louisiana <laughs> chose to let slavery remain in place. Yeah, and Louisiana continue to profit to this day. Uh, and the crazy part, they it's actually a paid tour. You can that's a part of their what? economy. It's a paid tour. You can if you want to take a group of people right now and you say, Angola, I have this date in mind. What's your what days can we come down? Wow. It's a ten dollar to six dollar fee to get in and they provide you lunch. I mean, some of the freshest collard greens I ever had because they are farming the stuff there and they have a group of cooks and they provide fresh food every day that they raise on this farm. And it's pretty much the, the whole, they got yards and yards, fields and fields of lots and lots of um, property over there. And they just building up. And the crazy part is Louisiana. They don't have air conditions in their sleeping units. Right, right. It, it, it's ridiculous. It is. It, it's, it's ridiculous. For years. But no, we went and we cried afterwards. It's that serious. Mm. But no, you're not misinterpreting it. That's exactly what it means. And depends mm. on this Supreme Court, how long if nobody dies off, uh, why Joe Biden and whoever else is in control right now. Mm. Um, and this Supreme Court continue to go into the next presidency and beyond, you're going to see a lot of stuff changing and wow. reverting back to what your four grandfathers behind. So, yeah. So again, I want to thank you for coming on. Um, you've been a great guest and uh, informative, very informative. And I appreciate, you know, you do that um, in your spare time as you educate, you educate the youth. So uh, real quick, 
give out your contact info one more time and give us your final thoughts that you want people if nothing else to take away from tonight's discussion with me that they take that away i say takeaway point is that speaking up for yourself is a form of self-care you have to speak up for yourself whether that's in relationships uh, with your spouse your family union, I mean your family members or in the workplace and especially in the workplace you are there more than you at home speak up for yourself um, and then as far as my contact information again uh, first name c-h-i-q-u-i-t-a h-a-l-l hyphen jackson.com and then you can follow us on all social platforms at blow the whistle law and that's at blow the whistle law remember the law on the end because there is the blow the whistle attorney chiquita hall jackson thanks again for joining us and please tell me that you'll be back on a future broadcast because I could talk to you about an hour about abolitionism in the United States. And it sounds like you are a modern day abolitionist. Thank you so much. And I'll definitely be back. We got something dropping real soon. All right. Peace and blessings to you. And you have a great night. Take care. Enjoy your holiday. All right, fam. Um, Please check out uh, her website and the work that she do and any way that you see that you can fit in to get in to support that type of work, then uh, definitely reach out uh, to her. So it's Labor Day. Excuse me. And Labor Day has some very violent history. Um in the United States. So I would just, you know, encourage people to just educate themselves on that history, even if it's not black history. If it happened within these borders, educate yourself on it and, and how workers have been mistreated and still being mistreated. But it's good to know that history. Um, I do want to give a shout out to Hawaii and let the people on the island of Maui know we still thinking about them. I actually got on my shirt, my daughters brought me back when they uh, visited their family uh, over there. I didn't even know they had family that lived on Maui. I thought my ex-wife, all her family lived on Oahu. Um, but all of them were able to escape the blaze. Uh, they did suffer, you know, homes burnt down and stuff, but all of them were able to escape. Um, and so I was reading today that The Rock and Oprah um, uh, collaborated, I guess they put money in the pot, $10 million and starting a campaign to help those people um, over there. And, and so, you know, I'm gonna say this, there's people I follow on Twitter, they're political operatives, political activists. Some people are genuine, some people are, they getting paid by somebody, by some think tank, by some campaign, by, by some third party to take the positions that they take. And it was this, this guy um, who I've been following quite some time, and I would call him a liberal, um, Hillary Clinton supporter, uh, Joe Biden supporter, um, but also taking liberal positions. But make a long story short, he was dismissing criticism of the Biden's administration's handling of that. Now, I don't have an opinion because I haven't been watching it that closely in, in, to know what the uh, federal government is offering up in terms of aid and, and what have you. Um, so I don't have an opinion on that. But I do have an opinion about people 
um, and political actors dismissing what seemed to me to be valid concerns, valid concerns. It, it should not be a partisan issue. These are partisan actors who talk like that. Um, but nobody is above criticism and to just simply dismiss these people who are victims of this fire to dismiss their any of their criticism um, of it is just absurd and is is kind of uh, acting like one of them you know settler colonial colonialist attitudes. So y'all know I'm just telling the truth. So shout out to to um, the people in the occupied kingdom of Hawaii, and I hope that you get the help that you need and uh thank you to oprah and the rock and anybody else who is contributing um to help that community with that said uh can't say when i'll be back on the air but you know what you can do is you can subscribe to our social media um and from there you'll get a notice of whenever our upcoming program is about to go on or when a podcast has been published, three guys talking smack, listening to music. I'm a fan of theirs. They just published a podcast in the past two days. But you can find Black Talk Radio Network's RSS feed on just about all the major platforms. So just, you know, do a search for Black Talk Radio Network. Uh, that's the podcast. But primarily tune in. If you got that app, you can find our radio station, the live radio station, or you can just make it easy and just keep it locked right there on blacktalkradionetwork.com. With that said, y'all be safe out there. Peace and blessings to all. Peace.